The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. We appreciate you listening to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. We don't do this podcast because we are former addicts. We don't do this podcast because we have loved ones who have suffered from addiction. We do this podcast because we feel that addiction is one of the biggest problems facing the world today, and that no matter who you are, no matter your religion, no matter your income status, no matter your race, no matter anything about you, addiction affects you. This podcast is a free resource for anybody looking for help with addiction. If you would like to help us in our fight against addiction, go to www.patreon.com slash the addiction podcast 273. That's www dot patreon.com slash the addiction podcast 273 and make a donation of whatever amount you would like. Thank you for supporting us. Hello and welcome to the addiction podcast point of no return. My name is Joni Siegel and I'm the host for this podcast. Today's episode is episode number 201. Pretty exciting. Today, we're going to be speaking to a gentleman named Ed Bish, and Ed Bish is a father who lost his son to addiction. Ed has now taken on Big Pharma in a big way. So let's talk more to Ed Bish. Okay. of opioid addiction spread out from Appalachia like a stain across the country. The Centers for Disease Control has this map and it flips through the years, beginning in the late 90s. There's a little red spot that rises in southern West Virginia. And as the years tick by, you see that spot spread through southern West Virginia, eastern Kentucky. It pops up in southern Ohio and up in parts of New England. And that red dot gets wider and darker and then eventually got spread up across the country. The wildfire of opioid addiction had so far burned virtually unchecked, but all that was about to change. By February 2001, the opioid epidemic had spread from small rural towns to the streets of big eastern cities like Philadelphia, where 18-year-old Eddie Bish was a high school senior. President's Day, February 19th, 2001. I was at work. I got a call from my daughter. Dad, Eddie's not breathing and he's turning blue. As I ran up the block, I noticed two guys were sitting in the ambulance. And they looked at me and I looked at them and they said, sorry, sir. And I was like, please don't tell me he's dead. And they said, sorry, sir, nothing we could do. I was like, why? Unbeknownst to his father, Eddie had begun experimenting with a little blue pill that was appearing at neighborhood parties. My son's friends were gathering outside. I walked outside. I said, tell me, what did he do? Eddie's dead, what did he do? 
He did an oxy, an oxycontin. What the hell's an oxycontin? I was reading these stories about how bad this drug was. I had no clue painkillers were related to heroin. They were almost the exact same as heroin. Ever since that day, that was my personal mission. I dedicated in the name of my son, Eddie, to warn as many people as I could. So we have with us today, Ed Bish that you just saw on the MSNBC video. Ed, thank you for being willing to share yours and Eddie's story with us today. Uh, thank you, gentlemen. It's uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to uh, talk further about this. That Absolutely. was a, that, that show just ran a couple weeks ago on MSNBC. It's called The Forgotten Epidemic. And it was a really, really good show. And uh, a lot of the clips are available on my Facebook site and you don't have to be my friend. So if you just look up Ed Bish and go to my timeline, you can see the links to the show, and then there's an internet link where you can watch the full show, but it is chopped up. Okay. But I have that link and several others. Perfect. And for those of you listening, um, Ed's last name is B-I-S-C-H, Ed Bish. Ed, do you know, um, did you know that your son was experimenting with drugs? Was that the only time he ever did it? Did, do you know what his history was? Well, you you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. Okay, of so so about about nine months before that, um, I was doing his laundry, and there were some pills in his pocket, and I asked him about it, and Dad, you know, this girl in work asked me to get these, and I yelled and screamed at him, and of course, I took it. You know, it wasn't his. It was some girls in work. What kind of pills they were, I have no idea. They went in the trash. So, um, you, you, you know, you look back. And then I found this out after the fact. Eddie died in February. Him and his best friend just started experimenting with oxys that summer. Mm. And... You, they, they, you, you know, was he starting to get addicted? I don't know, but he had, he seemed to like have, be sick a couple times. And I would ask him, what's the matter? Oh, I'm not feeling, feeling good. And, you know, looking back after learning what I learned, it's quite possible he, he was going through a withdrawal. He didn't know it. I certainly didn't know it. Um, you know, so we're going back to 2001 and, um, um, when Eddie died, like I said, first time I heard the word Oxycontin, my son was dead from it. Wow. And then to get on the internet and see these stories from different parts of this country. And then what really got me, a police sergeant came in and he said, Oxycontin, kids are dying left and right from this. I said, what? 
I couldn't believe it. And uh, I forget the exact number now, but once I started researching and the cops told me, or this came out afterwards in the previous three months, like 21 people in Philadelphia had died. And there was not one mention in the Philadelphia paper about this new drug. Wow. So a week, a couple days after Eddie died, um, it did show the front page of the Philadelphia Daily News. That was page one, and I was on page two talking about this new killer drug. And what year was that again, Ed? What year? 2001. Yeah, yeah. So it, it was very early on, and uh, so my 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 personal story there is I just want to warn kids about abusing this drug. I had no idea, you, you know, the full story, which I eventually learned, which to make, make a long story short, because it is a long story. Well, don't make it too short. You have got time. Yeah. <laughs> Purdue Pharma actually contacted me. Oh, really? Okay. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd, it took me a couple weeks I started my website, first it started as a message board, and then within a couple of weeks, we, we got a one-page website up. Right away, I started getting a lot of traffic, and I started to get a lot of emails from, you know, relatives whose kids died, people who were addicted. Sometimes. The hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 866-989-4499 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. We appreciate you listening to the Addiction Podcast Point of No Return. We don't do this podcast because we are former addicts. We don't do this podcast because we have loved ones who have suffered from addiction. We do this podcast because we feel that addiction is one of the biggest problems facing the world today, and that no matter who you are, no matter your religion, no matter your income status, no matter your race, no matter anything about you, addiction affects you. This podcast is a free resource for anybody looking for help with addiction. If you would like to help us in our fight against addiction, go to www.patreon.com slash the addiction podcast 273. That's www.patreon.com slash the addiction podcast 273 and make a donation of whatever amount you would like. Thank you for supporting us. And one of the emails I got was from Purdue Pharma. And they said, we want you to know, you know, our drugs great for people who need it. And I said, sure. I had no reason to doubt them. You know, I just want kids not to 
chew it up. That's what Eddie did. He chewed it. So he got the full effect. And, uh, you know, he was drinking. It was a party. Right. He died at a high school, after a high school party, went to sleep and never woke up. And um, so, unfortunately, you know, at at some point I wanted, I, I started to, talk with the Philadelphia police. They had a program called Heads Up. And they would go around the high schools and talk. And I would go with them, but they would only give me five minutes to talk Mm. about pills. Right. And I didn't think that was enough time. (laughs) So I wanted to start my own my own little program, you know, really talking about pills. Right. And uh, make a long story short, uh, Purdue Pharmed, they said, well, at the time, my uh, website was called oxykills.com. Ooh, I like that. That was right into the point. So they said, if you ever want to do something educational-wise and, you know, talk about the abuse of the drug, we're willing to work with you. Purdue said so, Purdue Pharma, right. Said you could educate about the evils of OxyContin. I was educating about not abusing it. Okay. Because, you know, I I listened to them. Great drug when properly used, they used to say. Uh Uh-huh. Deadly when abused. That's the part I added. So anyway, we we came to agreement. I would change the website from OxyKills to OxyAbuseKills. Because I was also getting emails from chronic pain patients saying, oh, you know, this bad publicity is going to make it hard for us to get the drug we need. Okay. I later found out that some of these people were being paid by Purdue to contact people like me mm-hmm. to sing the praises of OxyContin and Isn't to downplay that the risk. <laughs> so I actually... I uh, made a deal with them, and they they were going to donate $5,000 initially, and then $5,000 later, I went up to Stanford, Connecticut. I met, at the time, David Haddix, the president of Purdue. You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, Go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. We appreciate you listening to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. We don't do this podcast because we are former addicts. We don't do this podcast because we have loved ones who have suffered from addiction. We do this podcast because we feel that addiction is one of the biggest problems facing the world today, and that no matter who you are, no matter your religion, no matter your income status, no matter your race, no matter anything about you, addiction affects you. This podcast is a free resource for anybody looking for help with addiction. If you would like to help us in our fight against addiction, 
go to www.patreon.com slash the addiction podcast 273. That's www.patreon.com slash the addiction podcast 273. And make a donation of whatever amount you would like. Thank you for supporting us. And uh, we talked a little, I said, uh, one thing that's bothering me, and at this point now, this is about a year later. So I've, I'm, my website got a lot of hits. I'm getting a lot of emails. I said, one thing that's bothering me is, you know, about half, about half the emails I get are from people who were prescribed Oxycontin. And they're either dead or they're addicted to it. And he looked at me and he says, well, they must be doing something wrong because less than 1% of patients get addicted. Wow. And I really thought in my mind, I said, oh, my God, I'm talking to the 1%. So, so he also went on how... At the time, there was a lot of news stories about OxyContin and killing people. And he says, this is really hurting people who really need this drug. I said, oh, so sales are down? He says, he looked in my face and said, yes, a lot. So I left Purdue that day. I'm feeling a little uneasy about, you know, what exactly is going on. But I figure by me going to high schools, I can do a lot of good. So I start my program and I start talking at a few rehabs, a few high schools. But three months after I went to Purdue, it came out that OxyContin sales increased 43% that year. And revenues went through the roof. I knew as soon as I read that, that they were full of crap. Yep. They were. He, he lied to my face. I mean... How stupid, like, I wasn't going to find out. So that <laughs> night I sent them a couple couple nasty emails. I let them know how I felt. And then I really started to educate myself on this drug. And I learned that the, the biggest lie that they ever said was less than 1% of patients get addicted. Right. That's to totally false totally taking out contacts. He also, D David Haddox was also the one who made up pseudo addiction. So they told their sales reps that if someone, someone that seems like they're addicted to Oxycontin, they're really not addicted. They just need more of the drug. Oh, that's really clarifying it. <laughs> that's, that's completely, that, Oh, that's well. They taught okay. the sales reps that what they didn't tell the sales reps was this theory was based on one cancer patient. One cancer patient who needed their um, drug, you know, the dosage up. Increased, yeah. Increased. David Haddock just came up with this and they were spouting it and they were repeated it to doctors. Like it was a proven study or something. Okay. So there, there were several things just here. There's, there's a lot of great articles. Okay. And 
First thing I got to say, I got to mention some books here. Pharma, Dope Sick, and the original Painkiller by Barry Meyer. All three of them are great books. There's another book that I listened to, so I don't have the book, called American Overdose by Chris McReal. And uh, all four of these books are top-notch. A lot of people won't read a book or they don't have time. But uh, I found out if you listen to podcast Audible, that's great. And like I said, this forgotten epidemic that just ran on MSNBC, it was a two-hour special, and they covered a lot. They did. I, I watched that. Uh, I watched that MSNBC special, that documentary. And the thing I liked about it was I've said over and over and over again that everybody has all this attention on COVID and the coronavirus. And what they're not realizing is that there was a whole drug epidemic before that, and it'll still be here afterwards, probably worse. And so I like that, the forgotten epidemic, because everybody's talking COVID and nobody's talking drug addiction except us and you. And I like, I like that they called it that. So Ed, let me, let me take you back. So you, you had a website, what was that around 2002, 2001, 2002, something right, like that? Right. I started couple weeks after Eddie died. So it started in 2001. Okay. So then you had the website and then you met with Purdue. Now you don't still have that website though, do you? No, no. Unfortunately, at one point it got too big for me. So I, well, initially setting it up, I had a webmaster Uh. and he had all the passwords and everything. And at some point, I just couldn't contact them anymore. I emailed them. I called them. And he was a very nice guy. I think, you know, something he could have passed away for all I know. Right. And at that point in my life, I was, I was burnt out. I was burnt out. And it it was, uh, you know, it was right around 2010. And uh, the new Oxycontin just came out, and I was ready to get away from it. And right. uh, so, I unfortunately, it went away. Okay. And, and you focus but, uh, on Facebook now pretty much to reach out to people, right? Right. So, so <clears throat> well, anyway, so I was like semi-retired from it. <laughs> I, was, I would pay attention, but not actively. Um, you, you know, so what happened? Well, before that, when I had the website and after I learned what Purdue was doing and how they were lying and another thing they were doing as the deaths were rising, they were denying there was an epidemic, mm-hmm. you know, they wanted to put all the blame on the victims and they were very successful at doing that. Um, so other parents would contact me. So at some point we, we said, we got to do something. So we formed a little group and we called it rat okay. relatives against Purdue pharma. <laughs> and Good uh, name. the very first protest against Purdue pharma was by two moms who lived in Connecticut. 
and just two moms held signs outside of Purdue Farm. And one of the ladies, I, I can't remember her name now, she contacted me. And uh, so I said, that was a great idea. So we had learned that a lot of the Purdue sales reps were going to be at this conference in Orlando. So the, the second protest against Purdue Pharma was held by RAT. And there was a, in that show, there's some pictures and video of the RAT protest there. And uh, so we did that and then we wound up going to FDA hearings. Another thing I did, Eddie, Eddie died in uh, February. Right. August of that year, the very first congressional hearing was held in a suburb of Philadelphia, PA, Ben Salem. I attended the very first congressional hearing, 2001, okay? This is how long this thing's been going on. And, uh, you know, one of the main reasons why it has gone on so long is because at first Purdue would – you know, with their high-powered lawyers, they they would crush anybody who tried to bring a case against them. All right. After, after a while, there was just too many lawsuits. So what they would do, they would settle these lawsuits, but they would seal the records. Everything was secret, secret, secret. <laughs> okay? So the secrecy has been the Sacklers. When I say Purdue, I should, I might as well just say the Sacklers. That's right. The Sacklers want to like act like they're not Purdue. They're one in the same. The Sacklers slash Purdue. And, you know, we didn't realize the Sacklers for a lot of years kept very quiet. Mm-hmm. When you thought of Oxycontin, you thought of Purdue Pharma. You didn't think of the family behind it. But eventually the truth got out about who was actually running the company and who controlled the shots. So 2001, RAT form, we went to congressional hearings, we went to FDA hearings, went to a few whistleblower trials. Again, Purdue, the one trial, Karen White, a Purdue rep, she refused to call on a pill mill doctor. So Purdue fired her. Of course, they said it was caused bad performance. (laughs) So she brought a suit for wrongful termination in Tampa Bay, Florida. Really? Me and a couple other rap members went down to support her. There was Karen with her one little local lawyer. And here comes Purdue with 10 lawyers. Of course. And uh, so needless to say... um, what did they do? Did they, they buy her off? Did she win? What happened? No, no. Their 10 lawyers crushed her. Oh, okay. And, you know, just because they out, outgunned. Uh, another thing, what had happened was the, gen, the GAO, General Accountant Office, yep. they spent $2 million on a year-long report on Oxycontin abuse and you know, the over-marketing. Right. And before they were able to publish that, or before they published that, 
Purdue lawyers were allowed to make edits. Okay. Now this is just my theory. What? What's the point? Exactly. It's supposed to be. And I'm going to tell you what happened. (laughs) Karen's lawyer was counting on that damning report to use in her trial. First thing Purdue did, they filed a motion with the judge to have it thrown out. So, again, my theory is that they made edits and they changed some language in there where they knew it would be inadmissible in court. So that $2 million report was, wasn't was worth the paper it was written on, basically. Wow. And one, once they got that report thrown out, like I said, her her lawyer tried her be- the best. And also at the trial, they weren't allowed to mention any deaths. So you can't talk about the deaths. You can't explain why you really don't want to call on a pill mill doctor. So to make a long story short, they won that. And when they win the case, they get all the records sealed. They got all the records sealed. They got a gag order with uh, Karen. So she can't even talk about it. She can't even talk about it. So this is so, you, you know, I contacted every reporter who I saw did this story. Back then, they would put their email addresses, and I would email them. I emailed them. I emailed district attorneys. And somehow, I forget, I did get in contact with the uh, Virginia district attorney who wound up eventually taking Purdue to court. He was in the uh, MSNBC film, right? Yeah, I think he was John in there. Brownlee. His office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I guarantee you they went to my website because my website had a lot of good information. And the guest book had it. I mean, they showed in the film. I said the the website was 50 pages, but my memorial page was over 500 pages. Wow. And each page had, you, you know, 10 people on it. And then they were all... Death stories. Right. Okay. So, so anyway, so come to 2007, and uh, they're prosecuting Purdue. And this is, this is in the movie too, and it's well, well publicized. Who does Purdue hire? Rudy Giuliani. So make a long story short, John Brownlee wanted to charge him with crimes that would bring a jail sentence. Okay. There was a 120-page memo detailing the crimes sent to the DOJ. The higher-ups at the DOJ buried that memo. The judge never got to see this 120-page memo. Wow. We were invited, Rap and other parents. I think there was 19 parents or relatives to give a short 90-second statement at the sentencing. We we begged that judge, please, they deserve jail time. That judge was apologetic to us. He said... 
I forget the exact words, but he said if it was up to him, they would have gotten jail time. But he has to go by the sentencing guidelines. <laughs> now, remember, he never got to see the memo, 120 pages listing the crimes, requesting jail time. So they didn't get jail time. At the time, they got a record fine. Produce six hundred million. The three executives thirty four million. And uh, you know we looked at it as a moral victory, but we certainly weren't happy. Right. Okay. So now Purdue. Another thing that they did in that agreement, Purdue and the Sacklers got immunity for any crimes up until that trial. So they, they signed the agreement at that trial, right? So you would think that they would be a little more ethical, a little more careful. What did they do? They tripled the sales force. After 2007, they tripled the sales force. Oxycontin sales went through the roof over $3 billion per year. And if you look at a chart, as their sales went up, the deaths went up. Wow. And they can say whatever they want. They cannot explain that away. You know, Ed, sorry for interrupting, but, you know, the, the other story that the MSNBC video documentary covered, which I thought was fascinating, was the 26-year-old young man in Utah that was doing a business on the dark web selling drugs. And right. this young man was sentenced to life in prison with no chance for parole. And so I looked at, I was so incensed after I watched the documentary because I thought, how is what Purdue did any different than what this young man did on, on exactly. the internet? How is there any difference? And he gets life without parole and the Purdue Pharma executives and the Sacklers get zip. And that money doesn't affect them one bit. They have spent hundred, literally hundreds of millions of dollars on lawyers. What honest company needs to spend hundreds of millions of dollars on lawyers? Yep. Okay. So now I'm going to fast forward. Fast forward just to get to here since we're talking about it. Okay. On, um, on December 17th, the House Oversight Committee bipartisan committee, Democrats and Republicans, finally questioned two of the Sacklers. Okay? You now, mean December that, 2020? Was, you mean December just now? Like a few weeks just ago? Just now. The oversight wow. hearing, which is available, again, if you go to my timeline, you'll see a link to YouTube. You can watch the whole hearing. Okay. And it is worth watching. This is just some of the quotes. Now, this ain't me. I lost my son. So you expect me to say this, but not politicians, right? So, so here's just some of the quotes, okay? I'm not sure that I'm aware of any family in America that's more evil than yours. Rep. Jim Cooper, Democrat, Tennessee, says... Adding that their testimony made his blood boil. Okay. 
Rep. John Sarbanes, Democrat, Maryland, called the group morally bankrupt. Okay. Wow. Um, Rep. Armstrong, post-2007 sales exploded. Again, I just told you that they tripled the sales force. You want to know what happened? Look at your balance sheet. Okay. A hearing bubbling with anger saw infuriated members of Congress likening the Sacklers to the Mexican drug cartel leader, El Chapo, and the multi-billion dollar fraudster, Bernie Madoff. One congressman said he thought they were possibly the most evil family in America. (laughs) So now... We don't agree on a lot of things on this committee in a bipartisan way, said James Comer, Republican, the highest ranking Republican, told the Sacklers. But I think our opinion of Purdue Pharma and the actions of your family, we all agree are sickening. Okay. Wow. Wow. So that that's where we're at. I have never been more optimistic hmm. that something may finally happen and they do deserve jail time. They need to be held They're, accountable. They just do. They they are as accountable as that young man, 26 years old, only made a million something. Exactly. Life in prison without parole. You want to know that they compared them to El Chapo? So it yeah. was estimated El Chapo made $13 billion selling illegal drugs. It just so happens the Sackler profits, $13 billion in profits. There you go. Okay? This is another thing big that's happening, okay? So from 1997 to 2007, okay, They were selling Oxycontin. They withdrew from the company $126 million over 10 years. After 2007, when a family friend told them, you might want to start offshoring some of your money because eventually a lawsuit's going to get through. After the 2007 guilty plea, they removed $10 billion. Hmm. So they withdrew $126 million in 10 years. After they pleaded guilty, they withdrew $10 billion. But yet they're trying to say, no, we weren't trying to hide no money. <laughs> so so what, got me, what got me back involved really heavily was, like I said, I, I thought I was more or less retired from battling Purdue, and it it was what it was. But then Massachusetts filed this great lawsuit, and it was available online, and it lists the evidence, all the evidence, not all of it, but so much evidence. I read that, and then I saw that there was a big protest up at Purdue Pharma, which unfortunately I missed, but I got to get involved. Then New York filed a lawsuit, and that was packed full of good stuff. 
So what did Purdue do? There was 2,600 lawsuits pending. So they filed for bankruptcy. Of course. That's the cop-out. Well, not only, I call it a bankruptcy scam. Mm -hmm. Because the very first article I read about this bankruptcy is that they offered to pay $3 billion of their money, but they want immunity. So Purdue Pharma, the company, is going bankrupt, but the Sacklers, the multi-billion owners who made $13 billion in profit, who offshored $10 billion, says, well, we'll give you $3 billion as long as you give us immunity. No way. So I call it a bankruptcy scam, and uh, I got involved trying to prevent them from getting immunity. Another outrage that they're trying to do, and this was their idea. When I say there, I say the Sacklers, Purdue. Mm -hmm. Okay. They want the government to take over Purdue Pharma as a public benefit company. Oh, yeah. Having, yeah. having the government, which AKA is us, the victims sell OxyContin. It's it's outrageous, outrageous, and we've been we've been talking. You, you know, it's just it's 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 sadistic. Yeah. I really believe it is sadistic. Okay, the the Los Angeles Times did a great thing. Again, anybody can see this on my timeline. It's. They, they have a video, and it shows that OxyContin does not last 12 hours. When OxyContin was approved, almost 50% of, 50 of the patients said that it does not last 12 hours, but the FDA still approved it for 12 hours. So in this video that the LA Times does, and it's not an even release. So if you take it as prescribed, it's going to put you through many withdrawals <laughs> and thus promoting the addiction. Right. So they're saying, yeah, well, you, you take the company, you keep on selling OxyContin, the drug that caused all these problems and deaths. Keep on selling it to fund rehabs. What sense does that make? You, you know, yeah, yeah. It, it's crazy. It. So, so what's next, Dad? What's next for you? What I, yeah, what's next? Is there anything coming up in the courts? Is there any more court action going to be happening? Or, well, I, you, my my group were involved. We have a ad hoc committee. It's called, but. We we refused to sign a confidential confidentiality agreement because mm -hmm. if I signed it, I wouldn't be on this podcast now. Right. So I'm not privy to the insider insider information, but right now we're still involved and we're fighting against this PBC. We're fighting against them getting immunity. We're speaking out. We're talking to anyone who who will listen. And, uh, you, you know, at some point, they are going to settle. We're, we're very disappointed 
that the DOJ settled the deal with them. And again, no, no jail time, no mention of jail time, just pay us money, you know? So there's more and more documents coming out. Rep Maloney from New York, she said that they're going to release all the documents that the oversight committee had for their hearing. The Dow Jones, which is the Wall Street Journal, Reuters, and the Boston Globe have filed a motion. Because the other thing we're really fighting for is at the end of this bankruptcy, no matter what happens, we want all the documents released. And when we say all the documents, all the documents. Purdue has released some documents. They have released some redacted documents. Mm -hmm. We want them released and unredacted. Unless your social security number or address is there, it should be public information. That's right. And that, so that, that's, this fight is still going on. So Ed, Another, if, someone, if someone wanted to get involved in the fight with you, is the best way for them to just go to your Facebook page and reach out to you there? Uh, yes, yes. There's, there's really, you know, occasionally we ask people to write letters right. or to sign a petition. We had several petitions. We wrote, we wrote letters to the oversight committee before the hearing. Actually, we wrote letters asking them to have the hearing. I ain't saying we're the only reason why they did it, but we certainly helped get that hearing. Right. And believe me, the Sacklers did not want to be there. They they want everything secret. Just the fact we're talking about this. This is publicity. Yep. They don't want. They don't want it. That's right. They, We've said it they, many times on the podcast. Like, guess what, everybody? The Sacklers are behind Purdue Pharma. They're the ones that made the money. They're the bad guys. There you go. The Sacklers are the bad guys. And, and you know, it is overwhelming. Like I said, uh, 2001, I've been involved in this for 19 years now. Well, yep. it's 2021, 20, right? 20 years, yeah. 20 years, yes. It'll be February 19th. It'll be 20 years to the day my son died. Wow. And here I am still trying to get something done. But bringing that up, I just I just wanted to show you, okay? Eddie died in 2001. Right. My, my earliest email I have that lasted through the website closing and Hotmail shutting down. I used to use Hotmail. And I lost a lot of stuff, but... This is a 2003 email. So I knew this, okay? And this was just an email. Like I said, Purdue actually, not only did they hire, doc, hire doctors to go give talks and they paid them, they paid, they called them patient advocates. Mm -hmm. So they would pay actual patients to go online, go on message boards, tap the company line, how great OxyContin is. And uh, a lot of them contacted me. So eventually I just wrote up an email that I would send them back and they would complain about the website. So um, I'm... <clears throat> There's, there's like so much like I knew back in 2003 
Like I knew that less than 1% of patients getting addicted. That was a lie. And uh, Purdue saying that the publicity is, uh, so they would say this, all these stories are hurting patients from getting their drug that they need. Well, right. sales went up every year. If the right. sales went up every year, who are they selling to, right? If the patients can't get it, who's buying the drug? Right. Well, we found out in 2010 when Purdue finally switched to abuse deterrent formula, their sales went down by one third. <laughs> so do you think regular patients who swallowed it stopped taking it? No. It shows you how much of that drug was going to the black market. And they know, and that that's another thing, okay? To, Eddie died in February, August 2001, when I sat in that hearing, okay? It came out. What happened in Philadelphia, there was a pill mill doctor. He was flooding my neighborhood with oxys. How do I know this? Well, he eventually went to jail. He got 30 years in prison. That was announced right before this hearing, okay? So it came out the hearing that Purdue knew about this pill mill doctor. They had IMS data. They didn't say a word to the authorities. Hmm. Even after that, any pill mill doctors, they never turned them in. They actually called them whales because they were making so much money off them. Right. And then, you know, that's just, and unfortunately, this, this is, you need a book to fully understand it. But if you watch that two hour MSNBC special, you'll have. But like I, all these books, I learned something new from all of them. Yep. And uh, it, it's it's just amazing. And you know, Purdue committed the crime, but guess what? The FDA let them get away with it. Absolutely. It won't be. It's not the first time the FDA has let them get away with things like that. No. Nah, or let nah. drug companies get away with things like that. Ed, I appreciate. You being willing to tell your story on our podcast, I applaud you for all the work that you're doing. And I would urge people, the, there's a Facebook page. Is it a page or a group, Ed? Um, I, I actually have a page in memory of Eddie Bish. Okay. In That's memory page, of Eddie Bish. But if you go to my, my, actual, my actual timeline, Ed Bish. Right. That's where I put all the really good articles. Perfect. Ed, thank you so much for taking the yeah. time to talk to us today. I really appreciate it. An another easy way people can find stuff on Purdue on Facebook, if you search hashtag Sacklers, I tag a lot of the really good articles and videos. So all you have to do is type in hashtag Sacklers and anybody can learn most most of the stuff that's going on wow thank you for fighting the good fight ed i appreciate everything you're doing thank you Joni. ed bish star of the recent msnbc documentary what are we going to talk about next week 
We're going to talk about that MSNBC special, The Forgotten Epidemic. We're going to talk about the recent December oversight bipartisan committee that grilled the Sacklers. And we're going to talk about uh, just some, some of the lies and crimes that they have committed for years and years. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure and check out that MSNBC video if you can find it online. It's called The Forgotten Epidemic. And if you can't find the video or you don't want to watch the whole thing, because it is two hours long and it is worth a watch, I will tell you. You can go to Ed Bish. Um, he's on Facebook and you can see what's on his timeline. And he's posted pieces of the video that talk about Eddie and talk about what he's been doing. This guy's a freedom fighter. He is fighting the good fight on behalf of all of us. If it's something you want to get involved in, I would say reach out to him on Facebook, because I think that the more we cannot let companies like Purdue and individual families like the Sacklers get away with pushing drugs on our society, uh, the better because that's what they've done and that's what they need to take responsibility for. We'll be back again next week. We'll have another interview. So take care. If you need help, don't wait. If you have a loved one that needs help, please don't wait. We're wishing you a clean and sober 2021 and we will talk to you again. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information, reach out to us on Facebook or go to www.theaddictionpodcast.com. Our email is theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com.